0: Let's pray together. Father, we are so thankful that uh, You have loved us even when we did not love You. Lord, help us to see You. Help us to focus on You. Help us not to uh, worship our idols. There are many. Lord, though they may not occupy a place of prominence on our mantles, In the form of a statue or a graven image, we are guilty of idolatry. Mainly, our idolatry focuses on the worship of ourself. And Lord, I'm guilty of it. I know that uh, you have convicted me even this week of how I often turn inward and look at myself and either feel good about myself or pity myself. Well, Lord, my focus should be You. Not bragging in what I might have thought I accomplished, but boasting in the cross. Not weeping because I think I'm inadequate, though I am without You. Lord, don't even let me focus on that. But Lord, may when I'm in when I'm inadequate, may I say that through my weakness You are made strong, and when I'm at my weakest. And depending on you and before your throne, really, Lord, you are the strongest. And when I'm out of the way, you are able to work mighty miracles and work mighty works in this vessel. So, Lord, teach me and teach our congregation to be clean and pure hearted, not worshiping ourselves or any idol, but giving ourselves fully to you. It's in your name we pray. Lord Jesus, Amen. A snapshot of humility. Who in this room can say that they enjoy spending time with a prideful person? The world's image of success includes individuals who are flashy, arrogant, inconsiderate, willing to compromise and sacrifice anyone or anything to reach the top. Maybe that's why the saying, it's lonely at the top, exists. Maybe that saying exists because we don't reach the top in a biblical and God-centered way. I often have thought, is it always lonely at the top? Does it have to be lonely at the top? Or is that something I create or the world creates through the way we reach our goals? We need to be very careful as believers what we take in from the world, their concept, their vision of what a true man or a true woman or true success is. We have to always guard ourselves from the world's philosophy. Today I want us to look at a snapshot of a humble man in John 3, 22 through 30 And this humble man is John the Baptist. I say that it's... A snapshot of success and humility. And really that success and humility statement is repetition. As a believer, you cannot be successful unless you are humble. And if you are truly humble, you are successful. Because humility doesn't come from within the man. Humility comes from Christ. And I hope to show you that through this picture and exhort all of us to humility. True humility. Listen to the words of Scripture. And they'll be on the screen so that you don't have to flip from our text. And to try to understand what, how the Lord views humility. Psalm 149 4 says, For the Lord takes pleasure in His people. He adorns the humble with salvation. Proverbs three thirty-three through thirty-five, the Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the dwelling of the righteous. Toward the scorners he is scornful, but to the humble he gives favor. The wise will inherit honor, but fools get disgrace. Isaiah 66, 1 through 2. Thus says the Lord. Heaven is my throne and the earth is my foot, footstool. What is the house that you would build for me? And what is the place of my rest? All these things my hands has ma- hand has made. And so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look. These are important statements, aren't they? When God says, I've made all of heaven and all of earth, and this is the one I'm going to look at. This is the one I'm going to choose to dwell with. These are statements we ought to ask Christians to perk up and listen to. Listen to this. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. That's who I will look to. That's who I will dwell with. That's who I will recognize. That's who I will honor. That's who I will exalt. The one who is humble. The one who is contrite. The one who trembles. Fears before My Word. James 4, 6-10. through 10, Therefore it says, God opposes the proud. How do you like that? How do you like that statement? I mean, we all have those who oppose us, don't we? Enemies, people who are against us. How do you like the statement, I oppose you from God? We fear men. There are certain men that if they walked in this room and said, I'll take it on myself to oppose you, we would tremble. But how much more should we tremble when God says, I oppose you. I'm against you. I'm not for you. It's amazing what the Scripture says about humility. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched, and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and He will exalt you. So just by looking at these few passages on humility, we can see the value of humility. We can see the value God places on humility. I want to make some biblical statements and two applications during the introduction of this message. Then... I want to look at this passage and look at John, John the Baptist's final witness on this earth and see the glory of Christ. And I want to conclude by drawing several more applications. So we're going to do it a little different today. I'm going to give you some applications up front. Some biblical statements up front. And then I'm going to prove them and then I'm going to make some further applications. The two points I want to make, biblical points, I believe. Humility is a supernatural trait that can only exist in the life of a believer. Lost people cannot be humble. It's it's an oxymoron. They may be a lot of things. They may may look humble. They may look uh, like they don't put a lot of value on themselves. But even in that, they are prideful. Number two statement, biblical statement, I believe humility is gained by living in Christ, looking at Christ, and loving Christ as supreme to all other things. Humility is not something you gain by looking internally. You can't look at yourself as a self improvement guide and then become humble. You have to gaze at the cross. You have to fix your heart and your mind and your soul on Jesus Christ. Or you cannot be humble. It is another oxymoron for a man to say, I made myself humble. You can't make yourself humble. If you're focusing on self, it's pride. Humility comes to those who focus on Christ. Pride was truly the first sin of Satan and Adam and Eve. Pride. What does Satan say in heaven? We see the picture in the prophets. He said, I will be like God. I will be a God. Why should they worship Him? Why not worship me? I'm the most beautiful in heaven. So if I'm the most beautiful of all the angels, why don't they come and offer homage to me, honor to me, glory to me? It was pride. It's about me. And he fell and he was booted from heaven because God opposes the proud. He kicked him down. He humbled him. In a sense, he humiliated him, might be what we say. And then, he passes that on to humans, right? He comes to the garden, and what does he do? He deceives Eve with the promise that you can be, what? Like God. What was he playing to? Her self-confidence. Her self-will. Her feeling that she was pretty good. I'm beautiful. My husband adores me. He thinks I'm the most beautiful of all the creation. Why shouldn't I be like God? Satan said, why shouldn't I be like God? Eve said, why shouldn't I be like God? And Adam said, well, if she's going to be like God, I'm going to be like God. And he willfully disobeyed. Pride. He desired the first place. He didn't want to follow God. It was pride who caused our father to fall. The common denominator in the fall of Lucifer and the fall of our first father was that they believed they could be God. It was an example of pride. We've all inherited pride from Adam. All of us. If you're here today and you say, I'm a humble person, that's just the way I am. I was born that way. No, you weren't. No, you weren't. Because pride takes several forms. In our society, we focus on the first type of pride, which is flashy and the self-made man. The man who's self-confident, who walks in a room and takes charge and has this puffed chest and pride about, I can do anything. I am the best. I'm the one. I'm the man. That's what America recognizes as pride. But there's a second type of pride that is as dangerous or more dangerous than that one. It's reverse pride. It really is. The second form of pride is self-pity. You are a prideful person when you pity self. Self Self-pity is not humility. Self-pity is a sin. The Bible never calls on you to moan and groan about the fact that you are less talented less wealthy, less successful, less good-looking, or less intelligent than the person that's sitting next to you. God never commands that from us. Self-pity and self-loathing are a form of pride. Without a focus on Christ, it is impossible for us to be humble. Because we will be one of two. We will either puff our chest and say, I can do it, or we will shrink into a hole and say, I'm worthless, I'm no good. I, I, I. All of us suffer from the disease of pride. All of us. No one is guiltless in this area. We inherited it from Adam. What does God call us to do? God calls for us to bow the knee to Christ. And to say... Without Him, I am nothing. Without His grace, I cannot be saved. Without His bringing repentance to me, I cannot repent. You see the difference in the focus? The focus is Christ. Him. Without Him. Not, oh, I'm not good enough. I don't measure up. Doesn't that bother you? That bothers me. I'll just be honest with you. And probably because I'm guilty of the first type of pride. That bothers me as much or more than the guy who's prideful in the first way. The reason is, is I see it as real false. Because when I do that, if you ever come around me, and you probably will see me in times do this, with this whole, woe is me, life's too hard, I'm not good enough, pity, 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 please do me a favor. Don't pat me on the back then. Tell me, with all love you can muster, stop it. Stop it. Don't focus on yourself. Lose yourself and focus on Christ. Don't pity yourself. Don't waller in this, Oh, woe is me. Bow the knee to Christ and say, I, Lord, need You because You are supreme. And without You, I'm lost. Without You, I cannot be saved. Without Your grace, I cannot live. You are the one, Lord. You are the one. Pity. Is a reverse pride, in a sense. The Bible demands that we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. We're never to look horizontally at our fellow man to become humble. We are to look in the face of the truly great and powerful Jesus Christ. Humility is supernatural. It's supernatural. I want to make two applications now that we will prove, I believe, in this text. You will have to depend on Christ to supply You with humility. Because true humility does not exist without Him. Outside of Christ, there is no humility. Two, you will only be humble if you give yourself to prayer and the study of God's Word. Give yourself to service in His holy name. Give yourself to suffering and sacrificing by the power of His Spirit. Now we come to John the Baptist. Our text, 22 through 30, the end of John chapter 3. I want us to understand the end of John's ministry. This is a man who for years had proclaimed the coming Christ and crowds built. Literally thousands of people in the desert listening to this man preach. Hundreds being baptized. Baptized under His ministry. And then we pick Him up in John 3, right here in this text. All of these people gathered around, all of them being baptized, and then a strange thing begins to happen. Everyone begins to move to Christ. Christ was in Judea, near Jerusalem there, in Cana. And he moved from his ministry from there up after speaking with Nicodemus to Anon where there was much water. This is where John the Baptist's ministry was focused. This is where he had spent the latter part of his career. This is where the thousands had come to see him and hear him preach and be baptized by him. And Jesus shows up. Jesus walks up to him. Past him, maybe. I don't know. And sits down and begins to teach. And his disciples begin to baptize. And people begin to, in the sight of John, leave him and go to Jesus. We need to understand that because that explains our text, I believe. It gives us an insight. The background of this story we find in the text is that John the Baptist is the greatest prophet in his day. Indeed, Jesus says that there was no greater prophet ever to walk the face of the earth than John the Baptist. In John three twenty-two through twenty-four, the immediate setting of the of the reader is of this activity is given to the reader. Jesus and the disciples are baptizing in the Jordan River, near the place where John the Baptist was preaching, and baptizing in Anon near Salim. While this was occurring, some of John's disciples got into a debate about purification and the motives behind the Jewish system of purification. And during this discussion, they noticed that people are leaving John and going to be baptized. And they say, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look at their focus, it's John the Baptist. Look, he's baptizing and all are going to him. This is a perfect Situation for a man to be prideful in either of those ways. For him to poke his chest out and say, who is this Jesus? I've been here longer. I'm older. I've been drawing the crowds. Who does he think he is to show up and take my people from me? He could have been that way. He could have also been pitying himself, right? When those disciples came, he could have said, yeah, I know. I'm just not good enough. I thought I was doing what God wanted me to do. Why are these people leaving? Why doesn't anybody believe in me anymore? Why am I losing my influence? What have I done wrong? Why is God doing this to me? I've served Him faithfully. All these years and now He takes these people, in the end of my life, He takes these people away from me. Oh, woe is me. Somebody pat me on the back. Tell me I've done a good job. Can you believe that these people are leaving John the Baptist, an eccentric, powerful preacher who was not afraid to stand in the face of a king and accuse him of adultery. He was a powerful leader. But this isn't how John the Baptist responds, is it? There are five phrases of humility in John the Baptist's testimony here. First of all, to be truly humble, you must submit to the sovereignty of God. The first statement John makes is a statement about the sovereignty of God. John answered. They said, Rabbi, they're all leaving. They're all going to Him. This is his answer. A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given to him from heaven. He recognizes the sovereignty of God. See, he started his humility by focusing On God and not himself. John understood that Jesus was only receiving people that God had given to him. He was not stealing people from John the Baptist. Paul stated this principle to us in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 6-7. through I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another, For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? The same attitude is existing in that passage as John shows us at the river. Everything I have I receive from God. It's God's. One of the chief sins we make as parents, as people who disciple others, They become our children. They become our disciples. It becomes our church. It becomes our body. Right? Is it ours? No. It's God's. I haven't received anything that God in heaven didn't give me. And so if that same God takes them, my children, my wife, my possessions... The church, the people of the church, the guys I've had influence over, if God takes all of it away, it was His. He loaned it to me. It was never mine. It was His. That's John's attitude at the river. Oh, Rabbi, the one you baptized, the one you bore witness to, the one who came after you, He's taken all the people who've come to see you. And John's reply is, No one receives even one thing lest our Father in Heaven gives it to him. He recognized the sovereignty of God. You will not be proud of your own spiritual accomplishments or jealous of another person's spiritual life if you understand that all you have and all that person has comes from God. Don't focus horizontally. John the Baptist didn't compare himself to Jesus Christ. He didn't say, boy, if I was as good as him, I'd have more people He focused on his role. What God gave him to do. His abilities that God gave to him. And he gave honor to God as sovereign. And he said, God gave them, God took them away. That's his statement. You will be the same way if you remember. Jealousy will not creep in. How many times I think over my life that I've sat down and said, boy, if I could just be like that. guy, he is spiritual. If I could just memorize Scripture like Bob McNabb, if I could just be a discipler of men like Frank Barker, if I could just be a great preacher like Charles Spurgeon, if I could do this or if I could do that, the focus is wrong. That's not humility. That's not recognizing the sovereignty of God. Charles Spurgeon was the man he was because God made him that way. It wasn't him. Frank Barker disciples hundreds of people not because of who he is, but because of who Christ is and the power that Christ gives. Bob McNabb remembers Scripture like nobody I've ever known. <laughs> uh, I was sitting with him one time in a group of men and somebody said, how many Bible verses do you know? He said, well, I, nah, I, he kind of stumbled around. Somebody said, no, we need to know. Because, I mean, he'd stand up and preach it. He'd just quote Bible verses like that. And, Bob said, well, I don't know. Like, I got 1,000 in the recipe box I go over every day. I probably got, I don't know, 5,000 verses on call. I, I'm like, that, that's like whole books of the Bible. <laughs> that's amazing to me. But the right attitude is not I want to be like Bob. The right attitude is, boy, Christ has blessed him. Christ has blessed me. And I want to live in Christ. And that was the attitude John gave. Second statement of humility in this that applies to us. To be truly humble, you must be aware of who you are and who you must know that God has called you to do what you are doing. You have to know who you are and you have to know what He's called you to do. To be humble. You yourselves bear witness that I said. John's reminding them of who He is and what He said I came to do. You yourselves recall that I said, I am not the Christ, but have been sent before Him. He said, I know who I am. I'm not Jesus. And I know what I was sent to do. I was sent to come before Him. And that's all I was supposed to do. And there was, there's, a, there's a humility in recognizing that. John fifteen five says, we can do nothing, Jesus says, apart from Him. We have to see that God has given us a duty and that duty is important. And if we accept the fact that we are nothing without Christ, then we will be prepared to accept when God has that God has given what God has given us to do in Jesus Christ. Romans 12:3 says, "For by the grace given to me I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think." but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. I love that verse. I love it more when I realize in the original language, the word that is used there in the text, and it's repeated four times in this little verse, means to be sane, to be of sound mind, With that word in mind, let me read the text to you the way that it reads in the original. For I say, through the grace given unto me to every Christian among you, do not indulge in an insane estimate of yourselves. Those of us who think highly of ourselves are insane, the Bible says. You are not in your right mind to have pride in who you are as a person. But rather, Paul says, be sane about it so that your estimate of yourself is sound don't be insane Paul says thinking too highly of yourselves be sane making a good estimate of who you are in Christ that's what John did I'm not Christ I was sent to come before him that's all he understood who he was and what he came to do third to be truly humble you must value Christ above everything else He says in verse 29 in this text, the one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. We have to realize that at our very best, we are the friend of the bridegroom. We're the friend of the groom, not the groom. We have to keep a focus on the man of the hour so that our mind doesn't fall prey to pride. I, I think about weddings. You know, I've been blessed to do several weddings. I think in this turn, this is what John is saying with this example. It would be like the best man at, at a wedding showing up and standing at center stage. You know, he kind of scoops the groom out of the way and stands at the center stage, puffs his chest out, boy... That bride is good looking. He's insane. He's viewing himself wrongly. That's not what he was sent there to do. He was sent there to stand to the side and let the man of the hour get all the honor. Many of us are nudging the groom out of the way because we don't want to be in a place of humility. Realizing that all we've come to do is bear witness to him. Show others and point others to him and watch him receive his bride. John the Baptist's life was complete the moment he saw people leaving him and going to Jesus. Think about that. What in the world's terms would have been his worst day was his best day because his focus was the groom and the bride and he knew he was the best man. All I am is the best man. All I'm here to do is point to him to talk about what a great man he is, to talk about what a great God this man is. So John understands he is not the groom. A.W. Pink said it this way, Humility is not the product of direct cultivation. Rather, it is a byproduct. The more I try to be humble, the less shall I attain unto humility. But if I am truly occupied with that one who was meek and lowly in heart, if I am constantly beholding his glory in the mirror of God's word, then shall I be changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. This is why I said at the beginning humility is supernatural, it's not something you can make yourself. Is something the Spirit has to make you through the power and grace of Christ. Who is sovereign over all things in this life and the next? God. Who is in control of the joy, sadness, good times, and bad times? God. How then will a Christian be able to walk through this life with spiritual balance? By keeping our mind's eye focused on God in the face of Jesus Christ. We will be balanced as Christians. We will be humbled as Christians as we gaze at Him. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 13, 12, Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see Him face to face. To be truly humble, we have to recognize God as sovereign. We have to know ourselves and the task God has given us to do. And we have to value Christ above everything else. Next, we must be humble. To be humble, we must find joy in leading others to Christ. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. His whole life was consumed with leading others to Christ. Real joy will come in our lives as Christians when we say, Here I am, Lord, use me. And then finding out that the grace He is able to use you, that through His grace He's able to use you to bring others to Himself. Finally, the fifth statement of humility in this text is that we have to decrease so Christ might increase. Verse 30. He must increase. I must decrease. The verb for decrease in this text is a passive verb. Sometimes we lose that in English because we don't focus on types of verbs, tenses and all that. But let me say why that's significant. Because humility is supernatural, not natural. You cannot make yourself humble. God has to make you humble. He shows it. He must increase. I must decrease. Increase is active. Christ is actively increasing. And John the Baptist says, As He actively increases, I am being decreased. It is as if the sun is rising. John the Baptist is the moon. In the dark night that he lived in, he was as bright as the brightest star. But then as the dawn came and as the sun rose in Christ, he decreased. The sun is no less Uh, the, The moon doesn't decrease itself. The sun decreases the moon. As the sun increases in the morning, the power of the moon decreases. That's what happens in your life. That's what happened in John the Baptist's life. As I submit and humble myself under the power of Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit, I'm like the moon in the morning. I'm decreasing. The sun is increasing. Until the point you can't even see the moon. Does the moon hide? No. It doesn't hide. It stays fixed right where it is. It's it's in its orbit. But the sun is so bright. The sun is so bright that a man's eye can't even perceive the reflection of the moon in the daytime. To be humble, we have to decrease and he has to increase. William Carey said these words as he was lying on his deathbed. When I'm gone, don't talk about William Carey. Talk about William Carey, Savior. I desire that Christ alone may be magnified. Over a hundred years after his death, people are still talking about William Carey because William Carey exalted Christ. In t- Numbers 12.3, we read that Moses is the most humble man in all the world. I believe he wrote that statement about himself under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And you say, that's not humility. How can he say he's the most humble man in all the world and be humble? Because humility has nothing to do with what God estimates us to be. It's not a prideful statement, in other words, for you to say, I am an heir to the throne of Jesus Christ. It's not prideful. Why are you that way? Because it ain't me, it's Jesus why could Moses say, I'm the most humble man in all the world? Because Moses knew who he was and he knew who the Messiah was. And he said, Because I am who I am. I am nothing without him. I'm the most humble man in all the world. He understood it more than anybody in his day understood it. And think of how his humility displayed itself. Was he passive? A dish rag? You know, limp and. All kind and you know just that's that's what we've we got such a wrong view of humility. It's the guy who does this and never speaks and sits in the corner and scared to death of his own shadow. No, Moses walked into the most powerful man's throne room in the world as the most humble man on the face of the earth and said, "Let my people go." Doesn't look like humility to the world, but it is humility. Why? Because he knew. I'm not saying this for Moses. This is what Christ has called me to. God is sovereign. I know who I am. I know what I've been called to do. I value God more than anything else in this world. My own life included. And I'm going to decrease and He's going to increase. My speech impediment won't impede me. I'm going into the throne room with the most powerful man in the world and say, My God says, let my people go. That's humility. And some of us need to walk back into our own homes and say, by the power of Jesus Christ, my people are free, my children are free, my wife is free, and I will lead this home through the power of Jesus Christ. I will decrease, He will increase. Some of us need to walk back into our ministries and say that. We need to walk back into the place God's given us and say, I know who I am. I know who God is. I value the sovereignty of God. I value Christ more than anything in this world. And I'm going to decrease because He's going to increase in this place. Let my people go. That's the kind of humility we need. The church needs no more choir boys. The church needs no more fancy foots and dish rags. The church needs strong men who are humbled by the power of Jesus Christ. Men, I challenge you, if you hear nothing else in this sermon, if you estimate this to be the worst sermon you've ever heard, know this, you will increase in humility as you stare into the Word of Jesus Christ and know who He is. And when you know Him, you'll walk into the most dangerous places in the world and say, my people are free because I know my God I know my Christ. I know who I am and I know what He's called me to do. I'm out of the way. He's here. Let my people go. That's humility. That's what we're shooting for. That's what women in this world are dying for, men. It's some God-ordained leadership from a man that's not afraid to stand up and say, I'm nothing. Christ is everything. But I'm standing up for Him because I know who I am I value my life less than I value the gospel of Jesus Christ. John Knox, I want to end with this. This this moved me. John Knox was the... Think of this. was, Was the Scottish chaplain to Queen Mary. Bloody Mary. She hated Protestants. She proved it by killing them by the thousands. Knox was headed in to speak with the queen by her own request facing the dangers of the guillotine and people that loved him said, don't go in there. She's going to kill you if you go in there. John Knox said, why should I be afraid of a queen when I have just spent four hours on my knees before God? That is a statement Of Christ-like humility. Why should I fear my boss when I've been with God? Why should I fear my wife and my children when I've been with God? Why should I fear the government power that may be in this country when I've been with God? I tremble at the Word of God. I tremble in front of no man. I bow the knee to Christ and I bow the knee to no man. I am humble only because of His power and His strength. You will only be as humble as you are faithful to the Word and prayer. You will only be as bold as you are humble. You will only be exalted by God in the humility of Christ. If you want to apply this message in any way, I challenge you to do it this way. Give your life to prayer. Give your life to the study of God's Word. Give your life to exalting Jesus Christ above everything else. Valuing Him more than a job, a family, whatever it may come. Value Him more than your own physical life. And be humble enough to stand in front of the most powerful men and women of the world and say, my God says these people are free. Let them go. Let's pray. Father, forgive us for our passive, insane estimate of how powerful we are. Forgive us for believing that we are good enough Talented enough, gifted enough to pull off the Christian life by ourselves. Forgive us for our pride of self pity, where we moan about ourselves only so that our fellow man might exalt us. Forgive us for trembling in the face of persecution and not trembling before your powerful word. Lord, I pray that You might raise up from this church godly men who are not afraid of anyone but You. And in that, that they might humble themselves, bow the knee, and be humbled by Your Spirit to the point that they don't even focus on their own life, that they don't even see success through the lens of of the world, but that they see their whole life as simply being the one who points others to Jesus Christ. And may our joy be complete in this generation by seeing you receive your bride. We love you, Lord Jesus, and it is in your holy name that we pray. Amen.